Thank you all for uh, being patient with me these past couple weeks. Guys, I got strep throat twice in the same month. Does that ha- has that happened to y'all? Like, it was like back to back. And, I, you know, I didn't tell my wife this, but you know how they say to always go all the way through with the antibiotic? Well, it was one day. I was like, I'm, I'm healed. I'm fine. So I didn't do that. Well, th- this is just a, it's a, a P- PSA. Always follow through with all the antibiotic. Don't ever flush them down the toilet. So, um, so here in RUF, um, one thing we say every week um, that kind of sums up what we try to do here is that we believe you are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And at the same time, you are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. That one thing we believe is that God's grace meets us here, shapes everything about us in this place. Uh, That no matter what you've done this week, no matter where you come from in this space, no matter what doubts you have, No matter what questions you have uh, about Christianity, uh, the hurts you have, the pain you've experienced, the things you're wrestling with, uh, we believe God's grace really does meet you here. That this is a place for you to come. Uh, But at the same time, this isn't a place uh, that you're just left with those questions. You may still have them after you leave here, but actually one of the things about Reformed University Fellowship that reformed aspect, essentially what this means is that we believe when we encounter God's word, that it changes us. It shapes us. It, uh, we encounter God himself through that. So we try to study it. We try to see everything it says because we truly believe that that gives us what we need to live and to change and to grow and to have a life of fullness, a life of flourishing. Uh, So if you're new here, we are so glad you're here. Um, So kind of along that subject, I don't know if y'all have ever seen, this movie came out 10 years ago, and it's called Warm Bodies. Has anybody seen this movie? Okay. It's awesome, isn't it? It does not get enough credit. This movie is amazing. So it's uh, it's a zombie movie, but it's a comedy. It's not a scary zombie movie. And it's actually, so it's a romantic comedy. And it's told through the eyes of this zombie in the middle of the zombie apocalypse. So it's from, it's like narrated through his head. And he, it like starts out describing like, he's like, yeah, it's just really hard to connect with other, other people. And then he like goes up to this other zombie and they just like grunt at each other for a little bit. Uh, it's hilarious. Um, and he's like, yeah, I, don't, I just don't know what's holding me back. And then he's like, oh, yeah, uh, I'm dead. Uh, And it's true. That's what's holding him back. But he can't talk. He just grunts. He walks like a zombie until one day there's this human girl that, like, comes in to the story. And, like, she's part of this, like, raid trying to kill all the zombies. But he, like, sees her from afar. And then it, like, zooms in on his heart. And a little bit of his heart just starts beating. Just barely. 
And he like looks at her and he becomes like infatuated with this girl. And he like starts approaching her and somehow they form like some weird relationship. And eventually, I mean, long story short, no spoilers, but it is a spoiler. Um, becoming in relationship with this human girl starts changing this guy back into a human. He becomes alive again. And that's the story that uh, this zombie, you know, it, it's what all romances are made of, right? Uh, he starts to change back into a human. Uh, and this sort of image, weirdly enough, this is actually what Ephesians is talking about. That it says in Ephesians chapter 2, it says this, But you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses in which you once walked. Uh, in other words, you know, all of you are walking around. You, you were living, but not necessarily flourishing not necessarily really experiencing life the way it's intended, uh, the way it really means to be human, to walk as, as human beings are supposed to walk. You know, for instance, you have friends, but there's something missing. It's hard to connect. Or, you know, there's parts of you uh, that want to be truly known by others, want to be seen, uh, but it's scary. It's even risky to let people see that. Uh, there's things that you hold back. Kind of like the zombie. Uh, but what, do you, what Jesus does is he infects you with himself and your heart starts beating. And we become more human in the process of knowing Jesus. Um, in the passage we are about to read, it starts with, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That some people, we look at the Bible, you know, maybe you have done this, or you look at the church, you look at religious type things, and really what you see is just this idea of, it's just all these rules that you just need to follow. And, that, and that, that's what it's about. It's just doing right or doing wrong. But I think with the book of Ephesians and really the whole Bible it's actually inviting us to experience the exact opposite. Uh, the way deep down you really want to li live, every single one of you here, is a life of flourishing. It's a life actually the way God intended you to live. You may be here today and, you know, argue that maybe God is holding out on you, you know, or, he, or a lot of what he says is actually keeping you from experiencing true happiness or joy. Uh, from what you really want to do. But this is actually the argument the entire Bible gives from the very beginning. That the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden was to go against God's plan and design for them. Now, why? Because they were tricked into believing that God really didn't want what's best for them. And we get that every single day. We deal with that every single day. You know, did God really say that? What, did, what does he really mean by that? You know, God just knows that if you eat of the tree or if you do that, it'll give you life. You'll be like him. And so as I read this passage, I want us to ask the question of how does walking, how does actually walking with Jesus and imitating God, like our day-to-day -day lives, how does that bring us life? It's not just a set of rules, but how does it actually give us 
life and flourishing. And I hope you'll see that this way of walking, it's not hindering, but it causes you to become even more fully alive, even more fully human. And so open your, flip over your uh, bulletin. I did this on purpose today just to make sure y'all are paying attention. Okay? So uh, we're going to read Ephesians. And also the, the top is wrong too. It's chapter five. It's not one through two. I can tell you it's, it's been a great week, all right? It's, uh, I'm, I'm in it with you guys, all right? So Ephesians chapter five, verse one through 21. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible uh, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it's said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead be filled with the spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, thank you for um, giving us your word. Thank you for giving us a space to be able to hear from you. Um. God, sometimes it's hard to study certain things that you say. Sometimes it causes us to question and to really think whether or not we can even do that, Uh, which is why, God, we need your grace. Uh, We need your grace in all of this. Grace when we fail that. Grace when we disagree. Uh, Grace um, that transforms us, God. And so I pray, pray that you will meet us here tonight. Um, and that we will experience that. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So, um, are, is anybody a fan of golf here? The Masters tournament is this weekend? Okay. I enjoy, I, I don't play golf, but I enjoy watching the Masters tournament uh, because there's just something about watching all the best players at once and like one of the most important parts of their game uh, play at the same time. And also, golf is one of those sports you can take a nap in while you watch it, um, and it's just perfect. Like, the announcer has this nice, soothing voice. Um, but anyway, so Phil Mickelson is uh, one of the best golfers to ever play, 
And he has this, the nickname of Lefty. And it's because he's one of the, the best golfers to ever swing with a left hand. So they started calling him Lefty. But in a book about Phil Mickelson's life, uh, it's surprising to actually learn that he's not left-handed in anything else. Um, he writes with his right hand. He throws with his right hand. Um, all these other things he does with his right hand. And the reason he swings with his left hand is because at a very, very young age, he would go out onto the golf course with his dad and he would take his little toy clubs. And instead of standing behind his dad, he would stand like in front of his dad as his dad was swinging and he would mirror everything his dad was doing to copy exactly like him. So his dad would be right-handed, but he was swinging left-hand because he just admired what his dad was doing and wanted to look exactly like him. And, and so it, it just developed over time. And so he started swinging every swing and just developed his skill with his left hand. And so Phil's desire to, to imitate his dad swinging and to look as closely like his dad as possible went against his natural way of doing things. It went against that, which was using his right hand. And I think one thing that Paul is stressing in this letter is for us to be so enamored with Jesus, to actually look at him and watch him and just be mesmerized by him, that it causes us to do things that sometimes go against sort of how we're bent, kind of our natural impulse to things. He reorders what we do. And sometimes things that seem unnatural at first actually start becoming natural for us. And so when it comes to walking with Jesus, there's things we take pause sometimes, and it sounds like opposite of what we really want. And we're going to talk about that today. But as I mentioned before, we walk. Why? Because we are beloved children with a God who's our father. And he's not just any father. He knows what's best for us. He wants what's best for us. And so if that's true, what does this passage teach us about the way we should walk based on that? Uh, So in this passage, Paul, he's showing the Ephesians uh, really two things, the way I want to frame this. New habits that they form and also a new habitation, kind of a new habitat for those habits. You can see the alliteration. I really worked hard for that. Um, So we walk with new habits. So verses three through six is where we see this. So we read these verses and right off the bat, we're confronted with some pretty harsh prohibitions of Paul, aren't we? Paul prohibits improper sexual behavior, what what he says, impure talking, language, and then greed or covetousness. And one thing that could happen to you as you read this, you get like strung back into that third grade Sunday school teacher. Uh, hear, hear that in Paul's voice or a parent or maybe another Christian. And what you do is you go right back into that version of Christianity uh, that says it is only about avoiding wrong things. And that's Christianity. So just don't do it. Um, But that's not what Christianity is about. Don't forget our context, not only of the whole book of Ephesians, but also just in the verse earlier. Paul commands us in verse two, walk in love. Why? As Christ loved us. As Christ loved us. 
not so that Christ can love us. We miss that. But as Christ loved us, that it's easy to go into the section with this idea that I've got to walk in these ways and I've got to measure up so that I am loved. That is not how the Ephesians has been going this far. So that I'll be accepted into church. I need to make sure I'm shaped up. Or uh, so that I'm accepted in this group. Maybe some of you are struggling with all kinds of things. Is that the reason, you, you know, we do or don't love you? No, come. But the reality is we walk in love as Christ loved us. His grace proceeds. These new habits of our lives are greatly out of the love of God for you, for us. His desire for you to grow, to change, to be renewed. But with that said, these do seem kind of hard, right? What is, it, what is he talking about here? We live in a world and a culture that seems like it's almost impossible to avoid some of this because these things that Paul condemns are often the things that sometimes are celebrated, especially in college. So verse three says, but sexual immorality, all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. So first off, Paul is saying that there is actually a way of acting proper. And that kind of goes against our grain a little bit. Because a lot of times we try to define like what's good for me and what's good for you. You know? And often what's good for you is really what makes you feel good. You know what works best? Do whatever works as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. You know? Why, Why should I bother you and you bother me? But Paul is saying there is a proper way. And again, this isn't the Sunday school teacher saying like, you be proper. It's not. It's Paul saying like, there's a way to live. And we're going to define that. And it's good for you. So the first thing he states is that it's not proper as our lives as Christians, sexual immorality. Now this word is often tied with some very particular forms of sexual morality. But here's the thing. This word, the word is porneia in the Greek. Um, And what that is, is an expansion of all kinds of sexual behavior. All kinds. It's where we get our word for pornography. Now this includes any sort of activity outside of marriage. Any sort of sexual activity outside of marriage. From hooking up, to watching porn, to sexting, to reading uh, erotic novels. But on top of that, Paul combines sexual morality with impurity and covetousness. So in other words, even how we talk about sex or uh, the jokes we say or just the greediness that often is entangled with sex. You know, I, I want this. You know, wanting to use others for our own fulfillment which is essentially what pornography is. Uh, Wanting to use the others even when it's consensual because it feels good to us because we want it. Paul says even all of that shouldn't be what characterizes any of us. Why? Because we walk in love. What kind of love? Sacrificial love. You are about the other at all times. That's what it looks like from our private lives to our public lives. Now here's the thing. 
Why does God care so much about our sex lives? Is that a question y'all have really asked or wrestled with? Because you should. I think it's sometimes the church actually does you a disservice when they, they say, don't think about that. Don't talk about that. Is God against sex? Is God against my sexuality? No. <laughs> he created sex. God loves sex. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing. I mean, maybe some of you are here and have only heard from Christians that just say sex is bad and you shouldn't do it. Just don't do it. Right? But that is not the picture the Bible paints. It's not. The Bible paints a picture of sex that is actually far greater than the way that we actually realize it. Because we become so desensitized to it that it's everywhere. And we become careless with it. And we don't care. We don't care how we talk. We don't care what we look at. We don't care how we uh, interact with each other. And it's not because God, uh, we think higher of sex than God does. It's because we, can, we think far less of sex than God does. And so one of the incredible reasons he created sex, it's his, it's his uh, creation as a physical sign of the way he loves us. It's kind of weird to think about that our, our sex with our spouse in a covenant of marriage, it points us to this, a self-sacrificing and immense love with a God who will not betray us, who will not turn away with us, who is about us, about serving us. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And it's sort of weird to think about, right? But there's no greed there. There's no covetousness. It's one of wholly giving us everything for us to experience life and pleasure with him forever. And so we ask like, well, you know, if I'm a in a committed relationship, well, why? Why can't we just have sex? It's not a covenant relationship, guys. <laughs> That's what sex points to. A covenant relationship with us and God. And the only way for us to experience a tiny bit of that, not the, even the full picture, uh, is by us having uh, that complete self-sacrificial oneness with one particular person that you will never depart from and will only commit to dying for your own needs every single day of your life in order to lift them up, not yourself. It's completely unselfish. And so sex is a physical sign that points to that. That is why Paul is stressing this. That if, if you're a Christian who, who does the, the other way of this, it doesn't make sense. Because we walk as God walks. We walk in love. One of my seminary professors used to say that sex between a husband and wife, it's kind of like renewing your vows to one another. Every single time. Because what you're essentially saying is I give myself to you. And I serve you for better or for worse, no matter what. There is no one else. Whether, whether I enjoy this or not, I love you and I give myself to you. Paul goes on to say in verse six, let no one deceive you. 
with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so in other words, even right now, right? There will be people, things, other stuff that continuously persuades us otherwise. Our experience, what everyone else is experiencing, what we're missing out on, that'll try to persuade us. But Paul is saying that's empty. It's empty. You can trust. You can trust what God is saying. It doesn't have substance. Because our habits, they actually do affect what we do. They really do affect us. And in a sense, this is what Paul is talking about with what he, what he brings in. He brings in God's wrath, right? Which is another one of those Christian words that can kind of cause us to be like, what are you talking about, Paul? Right? Is he talking about future wrath or is he talking about like, you know, smiting people down right now? And I'd say yes and no. That... All of us here have different levels of the ways we struggle, the ways we sinned, even now, even sexually, especially in our individual sexual behavior, what we do behind closed doors. You know, some of us here really struggle with porn addiction, for instance. And I think about the misery and shame and guilt and disconnect that sometimes comes from that, always comes from that. The way it affects your relationships, the way it affects how you feel about yourself. Now, is that God wrath pouring out on you to hurt you and cast you off? No, but it is his discipline. It is him wooing you back to himself and saying uh, that this is not the way it's supposed to be. Like, I love you. And he's constantly inviting us to experience life outside of this misery, outside of it. Because one day we won't experience it. That there's no inheritance in God's kingdom with those things because those things actually, they don't exist there. So why experience them now? God is inviting you to experience a taste of this perfect reality for you. Now, here's the thing. If this is an area you struggle with, please know that you're not alone. All right? If it's an area you actually want to change, I think God is saying, I want that too. I want you to experience that. And please know, I'm, uh, one of the reasons I'm here is to create a space for you to experience change, gospel change, of a God that is not looking at you as your third grade Sunday school teacher. I've used that a lot tonight. I don't know why. Uh, but it's saying, I love you. I want you. Follow me. Just know you're not alone. And so how do we walk? In these habits, it's hard, right? How do we do it? And again, it's impossible on your own, which is why we need to talk about this new habitation that God gives us. So Paul says in verse seven, therefore don't become partners with people who practice these things. 
And Paul does not mean you just separate from all of those people. That is not consistent with what the Bible is teaching. It's not. Uh, Do not separate. Otherwise, how do you evangelize? How do you disciple? He's saying don't partner with them. Don't participate in these same things. And a way you don't participate is by not being in partnership with the people who do participate in them. Now, Paul is probably thinking of all these cult practices of the day where there were like temple prostitution that was seen as like, this is a good thing. Like, if you really want to experience the gods, come here and have sex. Or uh, if you want to experience the gods, like we have these drunk orgies. It's literally what they they were dealing with at this day. And Paul's like, don't participate. Don't partner. Don't be a part of it. He's saying, don't be around that. Of course, you're going to interact with people all the time. But it doesn't mean you gather there and participate. No no matter how ingrained it is into our culture. So instead, here's what Paul does. He gives us two things. And I think they're helpful. Number one is walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. Now, walking as children of light means that we actually reflect Jesus in everything we do. He's on our minds. He's on our hearts. We try to be shaped by him and how we interact. Now, this is really interesting, this statement, because I think sometimes we read this and we see this as, okay, there's light and there's dark and they don't mix. Uh, and so we, we really just need to separate. We need to form our holy huddles and uh, at all costs, just avoid the people that do those heinous things. That's mainly what we need to do. Uh, that's what walking in light is. But when you really think about it, light actually doesn't do that. Light moves into darkness and actually encompasses it. Light encompasses over darkness. That when there's no light, it's dark. For instance, when you read the Gospels, walking like Jesus looks way more like walking into dark places as light. Like people, he'd go into dens of lepers, which people would get confused and scared of uh, because of how impure it was. But the impurity wouldn't rub off on Jesus. He would actually rub purity off on them. He ate with the worst thought of people at that time, not to partner with them, but to bring them light because he was light. Now, if you are a Christian here, understand that you have this same habitation among you. Jesus encompasses your life. He encompasses you to where you actually reflect him. You are meant to not create some sort of holy huddle. You are meant to walk as children of light. But here's Paul's caveat. Here's the next thing. Walk in wisdom. Jesus was wisdom in the flesh, meaning every single decision made was perfectly wise. That he was the picture of wisdom. He knew when to speak. He knew when to be silent. He knew when to push. He knew when to hold back. He knew when to enter places. He knew when to withdraw. And Paul says, walk that way. Now, how on earth do we do that? That the way we walk as Christians, our habits, and where we spend our time, our habitation, it actually matters. It matters for this. And unlike Jesus, who was wisdom, 
We actually need to grow in wisdom, which means that sometimes that party that you're not going to go participate and drink at, you know, it, it might mean maybe you just don't need to go. Maybe wisdom says that. Uh, or, or maybe sometimes that party is actually where you need to be <laughs> in order to be light amongst your friends. That we need to grow in wisdom to know the difference. So how do we do that? Well, as Paul says, make the best use of your time. So it couldn't be maybe ordering your day in such a way that you spend less time on video games so that you can get better rest. That's wisdom. It could mean waking up a little earlier so that you can pray. Maybe wisdom tells you that. It could mean instead of taking a nap, maybe spending time with someone you need to spend time with. Counsel. Maybe it means meeting with a friend. All these are ways that make best use of your time. But ultimately, Paul is pointing that your community shapes you. It's why he reiterates over and over again that we address one another with hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord, Lord with your heart, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What's he describing? He gives the remedy that you can leave here and be discouraged. Like, that's just a lot, Davis. How could I do that? I just need to shape up. I, I really need to do more. You know, Davis just told me I can't play video games anymore. Like, how, do I, like how, how am I supposed to do that? But here's the thing. But Paul states the resource for you to be able to do that. That you don't do it alone. That we're meant to be here together. To actually encourage each other. That Christ loves you and brings you into his body, which connects you to a group of people that are defined by joy and thanksgiving and laughter and singing and making melody. And you're with them. A people who long to grow and shape and understand what, what life is actually about that understands that God doesn't relate to you based on your performance and how you're shaping up, but he relates to you by his grace and his grace moves you into a community that changes you. And I pray that we can actually be a community like that. I pray that people can come here and experience that. And if you long for this, be part of it. Participate in it. Grow in wisdom together. Let's learn all the ways we can walk in love, but towards each other and towards others at tech, at campus. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that you would uh, just be with us. I, I pray all these words that, that Paul just talked about, uh, just all the ways that block us from really experiencing life the way you intended it even when it seems really like something we would enjoy. I pray that we would uh, continue to wrestle with what you say, that we would truly try to understand who you are through it, and that we would experience newness of life, that we would experience joy of walking with you. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.